0: Wolf and Luke. Who are you? Okay, then. Ron Wolfley. Ron Wolfley. What is up? (laughs) Witchbuster extraordinaire. Love that guy. Luke Lipinski. Yay. Wolf and Luke.
1: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Live from the auction community studios on this Monday morning, it is the Wolf and Luke show. Wolf,
2: what's up? Uh Oh, not a whole lot. Uh, um, how are you doing, Luke? You doing okay right now? You always seem surprised when I ask you that question. Yes, I know. Exactly. Um, well, you know, when you say what is up right now, how am I doing? I, I don't know. Um, I can tell you right now, at any point during this entire broadcast, this is, what is so cool. There might be a tooth that flies right out of my mouth right now. Okay. Because I have, I lost a crown over the weekend. The one thing that makes it really interesting, Basinonians, is it's still in my my mouth. <laughs> Wait, so you lost so, it, but it's in your mouth. Right. It's floating around right now. I'm going to see the dentist today. It's really, really cool because this chicklet is going to fly out of my mouth if I say a P word, if I pop it at all, or maybe even a... An F word, not the F word, base earnings. I'm not a pro. Oh, that would do it by too, any but stretch yeah. of the imagination. I'm not, and you know that. So, not the F word, a F word. If I say it, it might fly out of my mouth, literally.
1: So, we don't want to do a lot of Patrick Peterson <laughs> pass protection.
2: <laughs> hey, let's talk about the Florida Panthers. Well, I can tell well, we <laughs> could talk about the Florida Panthers. Are you kidding me? Knock it off. All right, Luke, don't get me started. No, I'm just trying to figure out.
1: Well, I'm looking at the show sheet to see when Wolf's tooth is going <laughs> to. Probably right around 11 o'clock it actually just, uh, yeah. when we really okay. get into
2: uh one particular individual yeah. around okay, 11 great. so f's and p's dangerous today for me okay all right this is uh, all right i like this it's like a high-stakes show on That's a monday right. morning when's it gonna fly out right now let's take wagers okay I, i'm gonna go right I'm around 11 the third hour oh, third hour yeah, okay. the third hour oh. afternoon uh, no, I'm going to go right. I'm going to go around 11:08. And you know what? It's kind of apropos, is it not, Onions? Because now all of a sudden, that's exactly what the Phoenix Suns need to do to get back on track tonight. Game two, game two against the Denver Nuggets. They got to be more physical than the Denver Nuggets. And guess what? That means some chiclets may fly. <laughs> well, it felt like chiclets were flying on uh, on Saturday. I mean, we can
1: we can try to dance around this uh, this game one and avoid. It. It as much as we can, but we we really can't. That was um, that wasn't great, Wolf. That was uh, not an encouraging performance by the Phoenix Suns. Now, it is one game. They lost game one against the Clippers, and they were fine after that. But to me, that looked like a Denver team that has been waiting for two years, that they had taken that sweep two years ago personally, or were just waiting for a chance to get their revenge. The question is, was their revenge one game? Because they, they celebrated like they won the title on Saturday. So was that it? And now the Suns are going to come back? Or did they expose some legitimate Suns problems?
2: Yeah, I think a little bit of both to answer your question right there. Um, let's say it the way that it is and was. The Suns got outplayed, outworked, out everything. Yeah. They did. No, that was bad. I, I did not see that coming. I don't know about you, I did not see that coming, that big of a beatdown. And I'm not talking about the points. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how the game was played. You, you saw that first quarter. It was very encouraging right there. The Suns, 32-31, they shot 67% in that quarter, the first quarter. And we know against the Clippers, oh man, they could not put together a first quarter, Right? So this was very encouraging to me. Here it is. It's game one. You're on the road. Hey, somehow, some way, you found a way to win. Steal that first quarter. That was awesome. And I thought maybe that was going to be a harbinger of goodness for them going forward. That was not going to be the case. No. because The second quarter got sideways in a hurry. Harbinger of goodness sounds like a really bad Metallica
1: cover band song or something.
2: Right. Which uh, is
1: why the original was Harbinger of Sorrow. Yeah, that, that's, I just associate Harbinger with Sorrow. And now I will again after uh, Saturday's game, too. But it doesn't
2: have to, look Well, <laughs>
1: feels like it right now. Look, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's not that they lost game one. I believe the Suns were favored to win the series, but the Nuggets were favored to win game one. Like, I, I'm not, I don't think anybody's shocked that they lost game one. It's how they lost game one. It is the fact that they turned the ball over so much. Now, I will say this. Some of those turnovers came late when the game was basically over and they were clearly trying to force things, but it doesn't matter. They Some turned the ball over did. too much. Yeah, no,
2: that's, that's the thing. <laughs> that's a good you. argument. Ron Wolfley reporting. Uh,
1: the offensive rebounding was heavily skewed in the Nuggets' favor. The rebounding was heavily skewed in the Nuggets' favor. The three-point shooting, like the attempts, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the show. I was I was looking at this, though, during the game last night, the the Sacramento game. You realize that those two teams attempted 94 threes. Oh, my the, goodness. The Suns have attempted 141 total in the playoffs. <laughs> and Golden wow. State and Sacramento attempted 94. I was Like, the Suns just don't shoot threes compared to
2: other teams. But the thing that was the most concerning well, to me. was really, really bad in the first half. The first half, what was it? They had five. They were two of four, five. They were two of five. Yeah. In the first half. Yeah. That had never happened before in an NBA playoff game. I don't know For the first twenty four minutes, but yes. That wasn't great. That's what I thought the webflower reported. Well we can go ask them. They're right uh, out there doing webflower Can things. you imagine that right now? Look, the Suns we all know it. The mid range mafia. We all we all understand who they are and what they're all about. We get that. But that was a little concerning.
1: Well, okay, but the the mid-range Mafia, the reason that that is so effective is because it gives you an extra dimension to your game, right? Yes. But if you're not shooting threes, then you're giving back a dimension, too. I mean, it's, it's okay, do you attack the rack? Do you shoot from the mid-range? Do you shoot threes? To have those three levels of it is great, but when you stop shooting threes, you go back to only having two levels. Yeah. Uh, the thing that was really the most concerning to me, Wolf, and I want to get your thoughts on this one in particular, because... <laughs> they outshot Denver Sun shot 51% I, I know, in that game and lost
2: by 18 yeah so how does that happen so how, how does does we, we know happen. the answer. <laughs> how does that... Okay, you you shot 51% from the floor, and you lost by 18. You got blown out. You got... Yeah, you turn the ball over. And you don't get rebounds. And you don't get rebounds as well. They were minus 27 in points from threes, mm-hmm. as you said. Minus 11 in points off turnovers. And minus 11 on the boards, including minus 8 on the offensive end. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was... um that's the part that, that you look at and you're like can you fix that? Because if you're going to outshoot Denver from the field when Denver plays the way they did and you're going to
2: outshoot them and still lose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not panic time. It is not panic no, no, no. time. But no, you know what it is inside that locker room? You know what it is inside that locker room? It's time to tell the truth. It's tell the truth time <laughs> and be accountable. You have to embrace and accept what happened in game one, what they did to you in game one, and what they did to you, they outplayed you, they outworked you, they outphysicaled you. They did everything better than you. That's what they did. You got to embrace it, accept it, acknowledge it, and don't let it happen again. Be accountable. 14 steals for Denver in that game. You know, there were concerning moments
1: when you're watching it and you're like, okay, you know, and KD had turnover. There wasn't a great KD game, but at the same time in the first half, it was a pretty great KD game. And Devin Booker, okay, we've seen him have better, but those guys, I mean, KD had 29, Booker had 27. They They didn't play... <laughs> I want to make sure I say this the right way. They didn't play terribly. KD turned the ball over seven times. That's, that's not great. That, and that bad. And that's what I'm saying. Like three yeah. of those came late in the game. But he had 29 points, 14 rebounds, and three blocks. Yeah. You shouldn't lose by 18 when, you're, when two of your guys are playing like that they got to figure out a way to rebound. And it might start with all five of your players actually standing in bounds and trying to rebound. Is, is my, my Instead of standing <laughs> okay. under the hoop and
2: just watching. Because okay.
1: they're, they're not going to win if they don't rebound better. They don't have to rebound better than Denver, but yeah. they have to rebound better.
2: Yes, they have to rebound better, no doubt, uh, DeAndre Ayton. And because of the leadership that is inside this locker room, do you, do you think the Suns have a good core of leadership-based audience? <laughs> Yes, they do. Because of that, the Suns know it's time to tell the truth and it's time to be accountable. And I'll guarantee you, we will see a different level of engagement from the Suns starters in particular tonight. Kevin
1: Durant, I think this is
2: where his value really
1: shows up. Another layer to his value. And we'll see what he does on the court tonight. But what you just said of it's one game. Keep it calm. Denver still has to win three out of the next six to take you out of the playoffs. And I think that influence of a guy that has been to the finals and won multiple times and been the MVP uh, is is. Potentially really going to help the Suns, but that, that was not an encouraging game one. It was, that was much different than losing to the Clippers in game one. I thought watching it didn't, it didn't have the same feel at all. Uh, score the hottest ticket in town, Suns playoff tickets. Just text ticket to 62620. Register and listen for your name this Wednesday during the 7 a.m., noon, and five o'clock hours for your chance to qualify for tickets to see the Suns take on the Denver Nuggets again. That's ticket to 62620. We come back, we'll switch over to football. How would you assess the 2023 NFL draft for the Cardinals? It is in the books now and that's next it's wolf and luke at arizona sports the local sports leader wolf and luke arizona sports the local sports leader all right, it's obviously going to be a pretty basketball-heavy show with Game 2 going on tonight, Suns Nuggets from Denver. But, uh, Wolf, we're going to take a little time here and look at the Cardinals draft because the Cardinals draft is now complete. Nine total picks, um, and we can get into what they did as far as actual draft picks this year, but i got to be honest, I came out of that draft more excited about next year's draft <laughs> because Monty Osenfort was so methodical yeah. in in picking up additional draft capital next year
2: and he did it a few different times. Yeah for me, Luke, um, I, I would say I was really encouraged overall. My very first thought is just Monty Osinfort and what he did in this draft. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I I have no idea if the players that he picked are going to actually be able to play a lick. Um, As a matter of fact, give it to me right now, Mel. Just go ahead and fire off the display. Everything I'm about to say about the Arizona Cardinals draft picks are predicated on, dependent upon, and with the assumption they will be available to play and will play at or above their talent level. Any and all proclamations made herein assume these rookies can play, which is profoundly false. Prove it, Brooke. That's right. Prove it, Brooke. (laughs) Just knock it off. I, I, you don't know. Even Paris Johnson Jr., whom I loved base Onions and thought he's the best offensive lineman in this year's draft. They got Paris. Johnson Jr., and they did it adroitly and fluidly and brilliantly, if you ask me, with Monty Austin Ford. But there's just one thing. Proof you can play. Proof you can play right now. I mean, and, and the guy can't prove that he can play. All I know is I've seen an awful lot of this, and because of it, I, I just take a wait-and-see approach when it comes to the players. So having said that, right now, the most memorable thing for me about this draft, the 2023 draft for the Arizona Cardinals, was Monty awesome for in his ability to make a deal and move. Yeah. Well that's
1: that and that sort of ties into to what I'm saying about next year's draft because you're right, there's no way to know how good any of these guys are going to be yet. Paris Johnson should be pretty good. He was by by most accounts the uh, the highest rated offensive lineman in this draft. Um I you know, I do like some of their other picks, but and we can get to those in a second, but the fact that they have, I believe, now eleven picks in next year's draft, it's it's not just the fact that you got Houston's first round pick, but that's the headliner. And if you, if I asked you right now, okay, well, if you can have any team in the NFL's first round pick next year for the Cardinals, wouldn't Houston be like right at the top of your list? Yes. Yeah. So Houston. the fact that you have that, the fact that you added additional Let's go, picks.
2: let C.J. Stroud! <laughs> it, yes! It, I mean, right now, Cardinal fans, Red C be rooting
1: for C.J. Stroud. No, we're rooting against C.J. Stroud. What do you mean? Well, you want him to start? Is that what you're saying? for yes. Okay, but then once the game starts, start losing, C.J.
2: Well, don't you assume that C.J. Stroud is I going know. to struggle? I, I, I assume I want, any of those quarterbacks are. I want are. him in there, and I want him starting from day one. Okay, (laughs) because if you tell me you've got a rookie quarterback who is trying to make his way in the National Football League, C.J. Stroud has got an awful lot of ability. There's no doubt about it, but he's a rookie and there's not a lot of rookie quarterbacks that have come into the National Football League and lit it up. Correct? Yes. So therefore, I'm rooting for C.J. Stroud.
1: I'm just looking at their depth chart. Their other options are Davis Mills, who's been... (laughs) Uh, Case Keenum or EJ Perry?
2: Yeah, but those guys have seen the game. They have. They've been around, and you know who knows? Lightning could strike. CJ Stroud is going to be out there. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we're going <laughs> to you know, need to keep I, I that mean, sound it, effect. At, at How'd you first... not lose your tooth doing that? Now <laughs> <laughs> you're just actively trying Don't to make me laugh. Oh, okay, Don't sorry. make me laugh. Right. What are you doing? Luke? I oh, could fly right out right now, but look, um, you know, yeah, this is this is what I love. He got serious draft capital for 2024 by moving down three spots, and he still got the best offensive lineman in the draft. That's. That's good. He got a first round pick, and it's Houston's, as you said, Houston's. That's probably going to be a top three pick. You can say that with almost certitude, right there. Then he got a third round. He got two third round yeah. picks for next year. I, I, I loved the way he moved around. Now let's see if these guys can play. It, it felt
1: like he was. I don't want to say in control of the entire draft because it's not that, but it, it felt like. It felt like they were the ones making the calls. When it it had something to do with the Cardinals, it felt like the Cardinals were in charge and it felt like they were doing what they wanted to do. Now, you're right. Ultimately, you got to see if, the, if you know how the players translate uh, on the field, but that's the same for every team. But in terms of being able to maneuver and navigate the, the draft, there have been times in the past where it felt like the draft kind of happened to the Cardinals, and this time it felt like the Cardinals were saying, okay, this is what we want. Oh, here's a chance. Here's another opportunity to add another pick next year. And you might say, okay, a third-rounder next year, what's that going to do? Well, A, it's Houston's, so it should be pretty high in the third round. Yes. But B, it's just those things add up. We've seen it add up the other way. How many times have you heard Cardinals fans complain about how you know all a bunch of different missed picks in the draft have put them in this position? Well, now you have a bunch
2: of additional capital, and this is what Monty Austin Ford's supposed to be good at. Yes, and yet at the same time, he got draft capital throughout the entire draft. That's what blew my mind. He came in with seven picks. And drafted nine players. <laughs> <laughs> now, think about that for a minute. Seven picks, drafted nine players, and oh, by the way, how many picks for 2024? You know, uh, that to me is what blew me away. And he made a couple of moves, and we'll get into this, of course, at some point in time. He made a couple of moves that I I, I really liked. The 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 pick where he sent number 96 even though it was a top 104 pick look, yeah it was it, know, it was it was, was above 104, 104. yeah even, even though it was drafted earlier than you it was top it was hey, 96 that's that's valuable right there it's a mid he turned that into three mid round picks and mid-round picks are – are there's something there. I'm not saying that because I was a mid-round pick, okay? I'm not saying that. But I love the fact he got three for one. Well, that I, – see, I think there's something to that.
1: We were kind of talking about that on draft night. If you move down 12 spots in the first round, okay, that's huge, yeah, right? Because you're right, right there at the top of the draft. If you move down 12 spots in the third round and you acquire more third-round picks, it's not the same because at that point – 10 of the teams in in between those two picks might might not even be looking for what you're looking for. You know, there's a lot... I'm just saying the drop there isn't nearly as impactful as it would be at the top of the draft, and then to do that and add more picks, that's where the Cardinals are right now. They need to add more picks, and they're doing it. Here's Monty Austin for it
3: on Saturday when the draft ended. This has been an unbelievable three days for me, personally, um, just to be a part of of this team and be a part of this group of individuals in that room. Um, I mean, it's, it, was, it was a great, it was exciting, it was intense, um, and it's it You know, can't wait to get the guys out on the field and have it be rewarding you know I, as far as adding the picks again you know I don't think that's something that we necessarily set out to do I think it was a product of just how the draft went you know I mean um, I've been a part of drafts where there's been no trades and then like today I mean there was we had multiple chances to make trades and um, today to them, make sense so on Friday on Thursday and Friday they made sense and so we did them um, today the, the chances that we had to, to move around um, just it just really didn't make sense for us according to where our board was so um, you know I I think I think I'm always of the mindset that if the opportunity presents itself we're we're going to do it um but you know today we felt comfortable taking the players where we took them oh
2: man yeah
3: what did we learn from the new regime? Uh, let's
2: not get into this in too much detail right now, but there were three things that I wrote down about this new regime with Monty Ossonfort. And we are going to talk about it at some point in time, but I just want to, I just want to throw it out there to you. First of all, we learned that Monty Ossonfort has a little riverboat gambler in him. <laughs> doesn't he? Just a little bit right there. That's number one. Number two, we learned that they will draft for need. <laughs> the Arizona Cardinals will draft for need, and Number three they value picks and under this new regime they value picks not a not a shock those three things but Um, Still refreshing though Still refreshing but not a surprise either When you stop and think about it Because coming from the New England Patriots All of those years right there Trade down, trade down, collect more picks Because you've got better opportunities More players in, you might hit You might strike gold if you can get more players in That's the thing I, I don't even really feel like they traded down
1: you know what I mean? Because you added Houston's first-round pick last year. Now, I hear what you're saying. They tr- Trade down, no. add more picks. And th- and that's what you Okay, this guy came from New England when he got hired. We're all like, hey, hopefully he knows how to stockpile picks. But you don't know for sure that he can do it until he actually does it. And he just did it. So I, I just, I'm with you. I feel like that's what happened this weekend with the Cardinals was a necessary step to turning the corner. You had to have a draft yes. like that. Yes, and
2: I love what Monty did. Now, now, ladies and gentlemen, let's just hope. These kids can play. Well, yeah, that's another necessary step. Uh, text us your thoughts to the
1: FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, what does Kevin Ray think the Suns need to fix for Game 2 against the Nuggets tonight? We'll ask him next. It's game day with K. Ray, Wolf and Luke in Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
0: Catch it in from the court. Wolf and Luke. Brings the bull and catching bodies on his way to the rack.
1: Suns, game day with K. Ray. I'm ready for whatever. I'm ready for whatever. All right, it is game two tonight. Phoenix Suns broadcaster Kevin Ray joining us for game day with K. Ray. Following up, uh, not a great game one. K, what's going on?
2: How we doing, gentlemen? Doing good. I'm old. (laughs) <laughs> Hanging in there, though, Okay,
1: Wolf might lose a tooth. That, that, that's very much on the table today. No, seriously, so
2: you know. yeah. I've got a floating crown. I don't know if you know what that is, but at some point in time, if I pop a pee or say uh, an F word a little too forceful, it could fly right out of my mouth, just so
1: you know. Or if you make that sound you made before, like Shrek learning how to swim yeah, or whatever right, that exactly. was. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Truly noted. So, yeah, so get ready, Kay. You
2: know, Luke might get hit with a tooth in the forehead at some moment. That's always a risk when I do this
1: show. Uh, all right, Kay, uh, let's let's start with Game 1. We were talking about this earlier. Game 1 they, against the Clippers, they lost, and they won the next four games. I, I would argue that Game 1 on Saturday against the Nuggets felt a lot different, but it's still just one game. So what was your, your main takeaway from that?
0: Well, my uh, my main takeaway is I'm glad Game 1 is, behind us (laughs) and uh you know look it's you know disappointing that that you lose uh game one it's never good uh it's something this team hasn't done very often but we've seen them now do it in consecutive series uh losing game one against the clippers that was at home though this was on the road And, you know, I I think the thing that stood out to me, guys, and maybe it was the same for you, is um, it felt very similar in many ways to that game one loss to the Clippers, which was uh, the, you know, the opposition in this case was the Denver Nuggets was more physical. Um, they, They provided more force. More tenacity and just look to be you know the the sharper, hungrier team. And you know when you look at a at a playoff tested team and I, I get that this particular collective group of guys hasn't been challenged, you know a ton, uh, it's just one of those kind of head scratching games where you're like they they should have seen all this coming, but for whatever reason, it did not appear that they did.
2: Okay, how concerned are you in regards to the fact the Phoenix Suns were minus twenty seven in points from threes? How concerned are you?
0: Well, it's it is now becoming a, a little bit of a a concerning trend, Wolf, because when you look at their numbers throughout the the postseason, they're only averaging about twenty three three point attempts per game. Yeah, and that's down by eleven you know, a minimum of 11 from what they attempted in the regular season. And, you know, it just goes, you know, to reason, like, if you're only attempting 23, um, and even if you shoot 39%, which they did the other night, the the volume can't compare when you're allowing your opponent to get 12 to 15 and in a couple of games, you know, 18 more threes than you got. Yeah. Then you factor that in with the turnovers. Uh, and so it just it, it, it felt like you tip your cap to the Denver Nuggets. They've been number one of the West since early December. But you looked at that game and you're like, man, you know, a lot of self inflicted wounds between the turnovers. And the inability, once again, to rebound the ball on the defensive end means 17 more shot attempts that you give them that you don't get. And even if half of those, you know, even if a third of those are threes, you might still walk out of the gym with a victory. Yeah, we're talking to Kevin Ray.
1: uh You just hit it right there, K. Ray. The fact that, the, I mean, the Suns shot better. They shot 51.2%. They actually shot a higher percentage than Denver, but they took 17 less shots. And there's a lot of factors there, and it's not just one guy. But I came away from that, that game on Saturday thinking, I don't know if they can win this series if D.A. is not better. And against the Clippers, I kind of just felt like if Booker and K.D. go off, that'll be enough. I, they're going to need more from D.A. to have
0: a chance against this Denver team, right? Uh, without a doubt. Um, and look, th- this is where, you know, th- there's a lot of folks who will say, well, you can't heap it all on the shoulders of, of DeAndre. No, nobody is saying that. But, again, and this is something that's been repeated, you know, countless times um, since he got his bag, which is these are the games, these are the situations why you got your bag. Because you have to elevate your play. You have to play like a max guy. And 14-7, and come playoffs, is not going to get it done. And look, we saw it play out in game one. He got beat up pretty bad by, you know, the the Clippers' uh, rebounding pair and Zubats and Plumlee. And then he bounced back and had four straight, double doubles Mm -hmm. um but this this is this is a series that yeah unless he is helping control the paint and minimize second shot opportunities uh you're just heaping that much more pressure and, and an even bigger challenge on Devin Booker and Kevin Durant how much of a different game do you expect DeAndre Ayton to play tonight well, I, I expect a very different game. Um, look, he, I mean, he, he said it, if we go back to that Clipper series, he said it It was a few games later that we found out, but he made the comment, it's like, yeah, I, I heard it from everybody. And he was talking about, you know, from the coaching staff to his teammates that, you know, for crying out loud, his own son was calling him out. Well, I, you know, I, I'm guessing all those same people have probably called him out. Um, you know, between the statistics, And there's been enough video that has surfaced out there, a couple of highlights or low lights, depending on how you want to phrase it. And I'm guessing that, that plenty of that was viewed as a team, you know, over the last 36 hours since that game ended and i would I would suspect, and I would certainly hope that he responds the only way you can, which is you don't need to say anything, just go out and let your game do the talking mm-hmm. The other part about that game on on Saturday
1: k was just. <laughs> it, it felt like, you know, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker combined for 56 points, and then you look, you're like, oh, that's nowhere near enough. It, it, that was the first time in these playoffs, to me, that they felt a little too top-heavy in a game. Now, it's one game, and they can certainly fix it, but they got to have some help off the bench.
0: Yeah. And look, I will say this, you know, because the bench, the Suns bench has been the, you know, the proverbial whipping boy during the course of these playoffs. It's not as though the Denver bench erupted and outscored them by 25 or 30 points. I mean, it was pretty much. A wash, but to your point, Luke, there there does need to be a contribution, It be it points, rebounds, defense, you know, getting getting stops, you know, minimizing any kind of, of scoring runs. Uh, that that has to come, and I, I think I I know I am, and I think we will all be curious to see if perhaps. That bench rotation looks a little different here tonight because the, the one thing that you also have to to look at is I understand the defensive kind of mindset um, that the, the, the Suns may be attempting to go with. But you also have to flip that and say, we've got enough offensive weapons on this bench that we could stress their defense mm-hmm. and their their bench unit defensively. And I think sometimes you kind of have to, you know, change that hat a little bit. So we'll see if that plays out here tonight, but, uh, yeah, and the one thing that I think people are, are, have kind of slept on with this Denver team is they have become a much better defensive team than the club that we've seen over the last couple of years. Uh, and let's not forget, Jamal Murray missed the playoffs the last two seasons. You know, this yes. is the same Jamal Murray that had his team in the conference finals in the bubble and lost to the eventual champion. Los Angeles Lakers and you know as the old saying goes um, and I'm not sure who said it but he who is the hungriest eats the most and you want to talk about a hungry guy that is Jamal Murray I mean, this guy has been sidelined the last two years in a postseason, and this guy is playing like a man-possessed.
2: Yeah, yeah, Kay, you know what? Aaron Gordon really bothered me, okay? I'm just telling you right now, Aaron Gordon, I might have to riff a little bit on Aaron Gordon. Uh, I appreciate you joining us, Kay. Thank you so much for your time, brother. (laughs) You got it, boys. Thanks, Kay.
1: We have Kevin Ray joining us right there on the Arizona Sports Line. Yeah, the uh, the Jamal Murray stat where he's eighteen and three lifetime against the Suns. Yeah, yeah that's just rude. Yeah, like what do you?
2: Just calm down, Jamal. Aaron Gordon had twenty three. Knock it off. Uh,
1: yeah, see, some stuff that happened in that game is not going to keep happening oh, yeah. in this series. Coming up next, Tower things looking around the rest of the NBA playoffs? Golden State is back. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. We've got the uh, final eight in the NBA. We've got the... Remaining four teams in the Western Conference: Wolf, yes, obviously Suns, Nuggets, Lakers, Warriors. Are going to start off their series. Warriors. I believe that's tomorrow. Yeah, Lakers, Warriors tomorrow. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's going to be very, very interesting. Do you, do you say that quote from that movie every time you see the uh, Warriors every time on TV? I see it. <laughs> yeah, every
2: time I can't hear it. The, um, I can't hear the name Warriors without thinking about Warriors. Come out and play. Yeah, yeah there are certain
1: things yes. this show has ruined for me. Somebody said totally around me. yesterday. <laughs> and I immediately it like, totally. And they're like, what? Totally. Like, Don't mind me. I'm just a mess. Yeah, that is. Um, the game yesterday between the Warriors and the Kings was close. It was close into the third quarter. And then that was like exhibit A for why if you're going to beat the Warriors, you probably have to do it before fourth quarter of game seven. Because... They went off. They end up winning by 20. Steph puts up 50 points. That's a career high. Uh, It's the most anybody has ever put up in a Game 7, surpassing Kevin Durant from two years ago, actually.
2: Think about that. But 50 points for Steph. Yeah, you know, it, it begins and ends with Steph Curry when you think of the Warriors. It really does for me. Uh, I think most of us would agree. What an unbelievable talent this guy is! What a great player he has been. Um, the best shooter ever in the NBA. The best yeah. shooter on the face of the planet. The best shooter in the basketball universe ever. <laughs> think about that for a minute. Now, that is—it's pretty stunning when you when you just settle into that thought and what you saw yesterday out of Steph Curry it's huge if the Suns can do this and they can get past Denver
1: and and continue a run deep all the way into the you know the the championship nobody's gonna be able to say it was an easy path this time now I get it the Clippers had their two best players hurt that's fine but if they get through Denver Denver looks pretty good if they get through them they're either going to be facing Steph Curry and the Warriors, or LeBron and the Lakers, and you can't guarantee any team's going to be healthy. But that's a pretty good other matchup to be watching in the Western Conference now. Wolf, Steph Curry against LeBron. Here's Steph after the game yesterday.
3: It's amazing because you're still you're still in the fight. It's better than the alternative of you know, on the outside looking in and you know having been down on 2 in this series. Like nothing's is guaranteed. You don't take anything for granted, and uh, it is special. To to know you know from the first series we played him again in cleveland 14 15 or 14, 15 season to to now um you know, we're blessed to be playing at this at this level still and excited about a new chapter um two teams trying to you know keep your season alive and, and chase the championship and that's what it's all about 50
1: <laughs> That's all you have to say. If I was 50. Steph, they would have been like, Hey, what do you think about playing LeBron again? I would have been like, um
2: fifty? Yeah. fifty. Uh, and it's also when he did it, right, based on he, it's it is. It's when he did it, um, going off in that fourth quarter, of course, and scoring fifty points in a game seven to slam the door shut on the Sacramento Kings. It, it's it's who Steph Curry is. He's at his best. When it matters the most. I talk about it all the time. He's at his best when it matters the most. Does that mean he's always been at his best at every game seven when it matters? No, it doesn't. It just means over a period of time, he's one of the greatest to ever do it when it matters the most. Well, that is a uh, That is a, that's an impressive hat to wear. I mean, you're
1: getting up to the point now, too, where... First of all, those two, just Steph and LeBron, have won eight championships since 2012. So, I mean, those <laughs> there's not that many other years in there. But I mean, if, if you're Steph and you go on this run again, you're going to have more championships won than LeBron James. You know, and that's not that's not well. You know, this bench player that played with Michael Jordan has more rings than LeBron. Yeah, okay, I don't care. Steph's the best player on those teams I mean you could make a case KD was the best a couple of those years but either way Steph's right there as one of the best players and he's one of the best players of all time and he may finish with more rings than LeBron too which yeah. to me that's significant when everybody says LeBron is right there with Michael Jordan as the two best players of all time and, I, and for the record I think he is but there's a little extra added juice to that series if I'm Steph Curry
2: yeah, and you know what? Also, to think about the Western Conference, Luke. I'm not trying to poo-poo anything you just said right there. Just thinking about basketball in general and the NBA and the Western Conference specifically. Can you imagine if, in fact, somehow, some way, the Phoenix Suns upset the Denver Nuggets? Well, wait a minute. Don't upset them. They are the favorites, correct? They might (laughs) even still be the favorites, actually. They were favored, uh, favored, I should say, to actually win this series. And can you imagine if the four seed is actually playing the seven seed? See, what does that say to you immediately? Regular season is meaningless? <laughs> it says. It's it is it's stunning. It really is. And I don't think that is a good trend. That is a problem. I've been talking about it for weeks, but it's the truth. That is a problem that needs to be addressed at some point in time. Well, I,
1: I tell you, too. I mean, look at Miami over in the Eastern Conference, right? They're already up 1-0 in their, their second-round series. They were a play-in team. Uh, and then you've got Boston and Philadelphia that are going to start up here uh, tonight. I just looked though on FanDuel and this this is where this is where I don't understand how people do this stuff for a living, okay? The Suns were favored to beat the Nuggets in the series. The Nuggets were favored to win game one. Okay, That's that's what it was going into. So basically going into the series, Vegas was saying Denver's going to win game one, but the Suns are going to win the series. Okay, So Denver won game one, and Denver is heavily favored to win the series now.
2: <laughs> yes. Okay. that's. Uh, that just seems so Vegas right there. So kids, if you're out there right now, don't gamble. You know what I mean? Honestly. Get caught
1: up in this world this of overreacting to one
2: game. A bird game. in the hand is better than two in the bush. Google it, my young crunks. Um, right now, clearly the most dangerous Team that is still out there in the Western Conference, the Golden State Warriors, right? Yeah. So what? There's by far and away. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You. I mean that that was it, why they're the most dangerous is what we saw yesterday. It, the deeper the series goes, the more likely it is they're going to figure out a way to win it. So then, what are you going to do? You can beat Golden State in five? Probably not. You can yeah. beat them in six. I mean, Sacramento's a good team. They were just up two zero on them, and they ended up losing the series. But once it gets to a game seven. Steph's
2: going to take over. The deeper that they get into the playoffs, the more refined their competitiveness gets as well. That's that's the dangerous part about what you just said. The deeper they get in, it's not just just the Game 7s, of course. It's not just series. These guys are getting better. They're getting better. The Golden State Warriors are actually getting better as a team, just like they did last year. There's no doubt in my mind right now, when you look at all the teams that are out there, the Warriors are the most dangerous team. Absolutely. Not just the Western Conference, in the playoffs. I I would say of the eight teams left, I think
1: you can make a realistic case for, for, I don't know about Miami. Miami
2: but at, no. least, at least six of them... I, I just can't do it right now. Jimmy Butler's playing out of his mind. I know he is. I know, and I love him. And okay. I love him, but I just I can't go there. To win
1: the title, is what I'm saying. The Celtics. Okay, so, I mean... But realistically, the Warriors could win the title. The Suns could win the title. The Nuggets can win the title. The Sixers, the Celtics... Probably got to put the Lakers in there in the conversation, right? I can't do it. Okay, but so you can't. So you <laughs> have five. Can't. I can't do it. I don't think the Lakers are going to win, but it's, I mean, you know how it is. In years past, it was like you'd see a second round matchup, but like the other team doesn't belong. They have no chance. Like the Knicks. The Knicks are a good story. They're not winning the title this year, but that's really the only team you look at and you say they have no chance of winning the title this year that's left. And usually in the NBA, you get to this point and you're still saying that about five of the eight teams that they have no chance. It's. It's wide open, and, and, and this is what Golden State does now. They're kind of like the Patriots later in that run with Brady and Belichick of, if nobody's going to take the title, we'll just
2: go get another one. <laughs> That's basically what they did last year. The dynasty. It's basically what they did last year, and it's the reason why I continue to say they are the most dangerous team, and I think the more they continue to play together, the more refined their tenacity and their competitiveness becomes. The closer they get to their ultimate goal, the more dangerous the Colden State Warriors are because of what they've already done.
1: When we come back. Back to the Suns. Can the Suns do this without DeAndre Ayton getting back on track? We'll discuss that next. It's Wolf and Luke in Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.